BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, is the presidential election keeping you up at night, straining your relationships, maybe giving you panic attacks? You're not alone. An American Psychological Association survey found that nearly 70% of U.S. adults are finding the election a significant source of stress. And while it cuts across parties, Democrats are apparently more anxious than Republicans. What are you doing to calm your nerves? Managing election-related stress. That's next on Forum, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As we enter the final weekend before what's been called the most consequential presidential election in modern times, we thought we'd check in on how you're doing. Surveys are finding high levels of election-related anxiety among Americans, and it's not limited to whether their candidate will win. It includes fear of rejected ballots or election-related violence or concerns about the future of democracy. So how are you managing it all on top of everything else 2020 has thrown your way? Joining us is Dr. Stephen Stosny, a relationship therapist and founder of Compassion Power. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Stosny. It's my pleasure. Also with us is Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, a psychologist and assistant professor at the Wright Institute. Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, thanks so much for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. We also have Farhad Manju with us, an opinion columnist for the New York Times. Farhad Manju, appreciate you being here with us too. Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. So let me start with you, Dr. Stosny. I mean, you coined election anxiety disorder in 2016 after seeing the reactions to that election. So are you finding it's actually worse in 2020, as recent surveys suggest? Absolutely. This is election stress disorder on steroids. Uh, it's a much more negative election. And of course, with the backdrop of the pandemic and the social justice confrontations, all of those contribute to the anxiety and the election is sort of the focal point of it. Once the alert system is triggered, it looks for threat everywhere and whatever it looks for, it's going to find. So the breadcrumbs on the counter can seem like betrayal or activation for stress gets much, much lower. Hmm. 
So it sounds like just in terms of temperature, degree, you're seeing stress amped up. But are you also noticing it in terms of numbers, like among your patient base? Yes. I had one day uh, the week before last where I got five emergency calls. I typically would take six months to get five emergency calls. Wow. Uh, and every day there's at least one. People... Uh, See, most people deal with stress and anxiety by blaming it on someone. Uh, and the law of blame is eventually it's going to go to the closest person. So it is really an impacting relationships. Uh, I see. Allison Briscoe-Smith, what are you noticing among the patients and clients that you serve? Very similarly, I also had a, a week with multiple crisis calls. Um, I also presented at a large organization of mental health providers and asked how many of them had seen an increase in request and all of the hands went up. So we're really seeing as mental health providers an increase in the stress that Dr. Stasny is talking about. Um, and I work in the context of children. So I'm also seeing that they're distressed, but they're often distressed because of what they're witnessing is happening for their parents as well. So it is a, a tough time. So Farhan Manju, I mean, last time we talked, it was early September and it was for your New York Times piece. Uh, I think it was titled something like Doomsday Prepping for the End of uh -huh. Democracy. And so, well, first, how are you? Like, what do you find yourself thinking about these days? Um, I, I think that your two other guests sort of describe my condition well. I'm extremely stressed. I'm, I, I find myself sort of, um, yeah, looking at breadcrumbs and, and, and um, finding like doom in them. Like every day I look at election forecasts, um, I sort of pour over the numbers kind of obsessively. And then I remember that I was doing this last time and, and the numbers didn't give me any uh, guidance on what actually happened. So they mm -hmm. could all be wrong, but um, I still do it. Like every hour I keep checking new polls. And then I remember that, uh, you know, they could be completely wrong, but it gives me some sense of, um, I don't know, security for a little bit, but then I have to go back and do it again. Yeah, I'm not in a good place. <laughs> you know, uh, Dr. Snosti, this whole idea of um, watching the polls, following them pretty religiously as I've been, uh, you know, following the news, of course, it's in my own profession, but generally people are also following the news, you know, constantly. What is your recommendation in terms of how to create a media diet that is healthy and, and won't won't create, I guess, stress and anxiety that isn't useful to us? Well, first of all, the human brain doesn't do well with obsessions about anything, but especially about things you can't control. Every time you think about something you can't control, there's a layer of powerlessness over it, and that in itself increases anxiety. What I do myself and what I advise my clients to do is limit your news exposure to three times a day, in the morning, the afternoon, and early in the evening, nowhere near bedtime. Nothing's going to happen in, in between those times that you won't catch up on. Uh, uh, it's go, the problems are still going to be there. And by all means, turn off your news alerts on your phone. Uh, because research shows that you get a dopamine rush when you hear those and you can't not check them. So that's going to divert your attention from important things in your personal life. 
Well, Lady Tweets, as difficult as it is, I've been trying to peel myself away from the news and from Twitter. Movie night, pets, watering and grooming the garden helps too. But there's also a part of me that feels better when I'm watching the news and on Twitter and communicating with my friends. I mean, there is some truth to that, right, Dr. Briscoe Smith? I mean, you worry if you don't, or at least I do, if I'm not watching the news right. or falls enough. Right. I mean, I think the question I would ask is, do you feel better in the moment, but how do you feel after? And I think what Dr. Stasny is also talking about and what we as mental health professionals are, are leaning into is this idea of perceived control, that that dopamine hit that we get every time we turn on and find that breadcrumb is really actually reinforcing a habit and that we almost become addicted to the negative news cycle or addicted to it. I think the same thing, this idea of doom scrolling, right? We're looking for coronavirus cases. We're looking for other kinds of pieces. But I would encourage us to think about do you really feel better or do you feel better when you actually get a chance to take, take a break? And what we're seeing is that it's really tapping us out to keep on looking at those breadcrumbs and that we have an opportunity to actually to look for different breadcrumbs, ones that we could actually have a media attention towards positivity, um, generativity, purpose, that those things are also helpful to us as well. Farhad Manju, lady mentioned Twitter as well, and I know that that's a place that you go. <laughs> What's been the latest thing you've been asking your Twitter followers? Um, yeah, I, I got to say, like, uh, I, I think that people should unplug. I mean, if I didn't work in, in the news, I probably, I think I would have taken like the, the last week at least off uh, the internet. Um, but alas, I can't. So, so um, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time. I was asking people whether they had kind of a plan for the next few days and especially for election day, um, like were they planning to stay offline? Were they going to obsessively check the news all the time? Because, uh, you know, there's not a lot that happens on election day. So it's this really like someone on Twitter compared it to, you know, like the whole country is waiting for a biopsy result. Like it's just, uh, it's just kind of this terror without, with, of uncertainty. Um, some people told me they were going, you know, going to go for a hike, going to go for a long drive, kind of stay, try to stay offline. Uh, I know my wife is trying to do that, but then I'll be in the house and we'll be, uh, you know, watching TV, uh, kind of uh, monitoring the news all the time. And so um, I don't know what happens if you're kind of in like a split household like that, where uh, you know, one person is kind of obsessive about it and the other wants to not hear anything about it. So, right. um, but yeah. So, so Dr. Stasny, advice for day of, um, as Farhad Manju was saying, it's very true. I mean, even here, we're, we're monitoring for any issues at polling places and things like that. But ultimately, everybody's just waiting for the evening. I mean, what is some advice for how to deal with that? Well, I don't think we're going to know that much in the evening this time because of all the mail-in voting, uh, and if it's, especially if it's a close election. The Should we have a buffer, yeah? Sorry, go ahead. The most potent buffer to anxiety is connection. So, uh, hug your partner six times a day. That'll give you enough oxytocin to ward off a lot of anxiety. Reach out to friends. Uh, reach out to family members. The worst thing you can do when you're anxious is isolate, because that's going to breed paranoia. But that said, I have school-age kids. Farhad Manjo, I think you do too. I mean, Alison Briscoe-Smith, how should we be around them as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
What are your yeah, thoughts I, on that? I have, I have three kids at home as well. I think one of the things that we need to remember is that our kids are already keenly attuned to how we're doing. Yes. I remember I spoke at a school the day after election last time, and I asked the kids how they're, they were doing. And the kids, these are eight, nine-year-olds, said, we're okay, but our parents are really stressed. So if we really want to think about what we have to offer our kids, it's either a narration of how we're doing, speaking about how we're doing, engaging with them around coping, being planful. But the idea that they're not noticing is, is patently false. They, they know what's going on for us and that our distress is up. And let's just say that it isn't going our way as we're watching the returns. And, you know, I think there are some real legitimate concerns about the danger of uh, of this election in terms of the prospects for the future of the country. So how much do you tell them about what to worry about, <laughs> what not to worry about? How much do you level with them while also at the same time remembering that they're kids, especially say if they're under the age of 10? Right. I mean, part of it is you have to think about, like, do you honestly have the answer for how good or how bad things will get? You know, the, the idea that we can actually forecast is pretty limited. What mm. kids need and what we actually need is something small and concrete and a place of connection. And that's what we can offer them, which is right now I can give you that hug. Tomorrow, we're going to wake up and we're going to go back to online school. We, we can offer them something that's small, right? So in terms of the big pieces, we can narrate, I'm not sure, but here's what I can do today. I don't know where that's going to go or that I'm worried about it, but here's the small concrete action of connection that we can have today. That's pretty much all we can kind of offer them, um, not promise them kind of platitudes that we don't really know about. Well, we're getting some comments from our listeners. Jess writes, I'm anxious about how long the ballot counting will last, what the outcome will be, and how it's received. Stephen tweets, yes, I'm anxious, mostly from Republican antics to cheat the election, gerrymandering, DeJoy trashing voting machines, removing mailboxes, putting up fake ballot drop boxes, and the millions of gullible citizens buying into the litany of unsubstantiated Trump lies. How are you doing? Uh, you can join us by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Tell us what you're doing to calm your nerves, what you will do if the election doesn't go your way. We're talking with Stephen Stosny, Allison Briscoe-Smith, and Farhad Manju, and we'll have more with them after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about election anxiety as we enter the final days in this high-stakes presidential election with Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, psychologist and assistant professor at the Wright Institute, Dr. Stephen Stosny, a relationship therapist and founder of Compassion Power, and Farhad Manju, an opinion columnist for The New York Times. And you, our listeners, are with us telling us how you're feeling about this election, what you're doing to calm your nerves, what your plans are if the election doesn't go your way. 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to join the conversation or have questions for our guests. Again, 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org is our email address. And of course, you can reach us at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook. Farhan Manju, do you have a plan? I mean, you, you wrote about doomsday prepping for the end of democracy, but do you have a plan right now for if this doesn't go your way? Um. I mean, my immediate plan will be to write about it for the Times. Uh, beyond that, I really don't know. I, I was wondering, you know, 
last time uh, when when my candidate lost, I, I was very shocked because I didn't think it could happen. I, I sort of trusted the polls. This time, I, I think I won't have that same, uh, you know, it, it won't be as big of a surprise um, if that happens. But, you know, there will be a whole sort of other set of ramifications with it. Um, I think I'm particularly kind of uh, worried about the, the topic we were just talking about, which is kind of how to present things to our kids. Because, you know, we've been talking about the election for a few months. My kids are um, 10 and 7. And, and you know, my son is kind of like jumpy. I don't want to kind of alarm him. But on the other hand, he knows we're uh, not interested in, uh, you know, we're sort of worried about uh, Donald Trump winning. Um, so, you know, last time they were they were quite young. We didn't kind of have to worry about that that much. And this time I'm going to have to be kind of privately alarmed while of trying to put on you know a, a a good face for the kids i think that will be the most difficult part yes i i agree absolutely and you know adam writes when trump lies and intentionally spreads hate i find myself personally feeling so much hate i've never been filled with hate like this before and i'm confused by it how do i deal with my own hate uh, Stephen Stosny, what are your thoughts for Adam? because he's right there has been so much negativity in this election yeah, negative emotions are more salient than positive. That means that they dominate memory to even recall positive events or statements. They have to occur in roughly a five to one ratio with negative. Uh, so they grow exponentially. What we have to do is take control of our own consciousness, focus on what you do love, focus on what you do value, focus on the people in your life. Uh, you know what I, I like to tell my clients, if you fast forward toward the end of your life, you're not going to regret who wins or loses in the selection. What you will regret, and we know this from research, is not being as compassionate and kind as you can be or could have been to the people you love. That's what you have to focus on. The election is important, but it's not the only important thing in your life. It's not even the most important thing in your life. If your candidate loses, know what you will do to make your life meaningful. I think that's a really good point, uh, Dr. Briscoe-Smith. But at the same time, surveys are finding that people of color and, and Democrats or Joe Biden supporters are more stressed than, say, white people and Trump supporters. I mean, if you do believe that the outcome of this election from past experience is going to have a serious effect on the quality of your life or your safety, how do you keep that all in perspective as Stephen Stosny is talking about? Right. I mean, I think the opportunity is, as we are kind of talking about, is to, to reacquaint ourselves with our values and our purpose. I mean, the, 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 the scope of my work as a person that supports children and supports the conversations around race will not be vastly different because racism is still present, because kids are still getting separated and abused. Now, yes, the policies are really, really impactful and show up that way, but the, the course of my work is the same. And I wanna encourage us to kind of think about and also remind ourselves if the outcome is not aligned with your values, what are you gonna do about that? How are you gonna get aligned with purpose? And there's research to indicate that since 2016, a lot of people were really compelled by what happened and about the disappointment they had and got aligned and found more purpose in their lives and are driving more towards organizing and compassion and work that is about doing better in the world. So we've got that opportunity um, no matter what the outcome is. 
So I would encourage us to pull to that. Well, Charlie writes, I feel the two choices you consider are anxiety or managing anxiety. Phone or text banking helps affect the outcome and channel anxiety into action. And that's frequently been a recommendation, right, Dr. Briscoe-Smith, is just to do something that does give you a sense of control and to give to others if you feel like you have that capacity. Definitely. And again, the, both the, our common wisdom and our research is really consistent around that, the, the tend and befriend, the compassion that when we move to doing those things. And also, I think sometimes we become overwhelmed by what does that really mean? For our children, this can be small things. And for us, it can be small things like be nice to your sister. Can we connect up with a neighbor? Can we leave a note? These are small, concrete things and concrete pieces of action that are rooted in compassion and gratitude that really will help us out. And that would be the place that I would really encourage us to make a plan for, for Wednesday. It's what's one small thing you can do with your children that helps you feel connected and feel um, compassionate and grounded. Well, let me go to caller Bob in Richmond. Hi, Bob. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I just want to thank everybody on the panel. Um, I'm an attorney that works alone at home in a small firm I have in Berkeley. We're defense attorneys for people who have licenses, and we represent a lot of people who have small family uh, community care homes and who are taking care of people who need assistance, not medical care, children, adults, um, adolescents. And this has been an incredibly chaotic time for them, as you can imagine. And We've all been working at home. I just wanted to say two things. Your comments about how uh, contact with people you're close to helps anxiety is perfect to me. I work alone during the week, and my fiancé comes in on the weekend. And during the week, I'm lucky that I go to Zoom meetings in the evenings two or three times, which helps uh, because it's part of a recovery thing I do. But also I have people that I care about that I actually FaceTime with because I want to see them. I know it's not the same. Of course, it's not the same. But it does help me remember that I am not alone, even though it feels that way mm. a lot of times during the day. I also exercise. I go out and walk and make sure that I get about at least try to get an hour in. And these are the kinds of things I don't want to do necessarily, but I do them, and my friends remind me to do them. Um, yeah. And as for the the election day uh, advice, I very much support that. Um, I hated the fact that we didn't win the election in 2016 like any number of other people did, and I think it has been very difficult. But we're here. We're here, and we're still alive and fighting. Those of us who don't agree with some of these values will continue to fight no matter what happens in a peaceful and civil manner in the tradition of people that I believe in, like Martin Luther King and a number of the other people who have shown us how to change things in a way that doesn't betray our values. So anyway, sorry for the speech, but I just no. really, really love this. Well, it was lovely. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate hearing your thoughts. And Robert writes, instead of passively watching election news and worrying, take action. You can volunteer this weekend. You can join a Zoom session and train with hundreds of like-minded Americans to make calls to key states. This uplifting experience turns stress into inspiration and turns a frown into a smile. Tom writes, my teenage son and my wife are really interested in watching the results. Knowing that it would increase my anxiety, I've booked an Airbnb in Bodega Bay for the rest of the next week. I'm going to go on a news blackout. We'll hike, birdwatch, read, and generally relax. On Thursday, I return to the real world. I mean, Farhad Manju, I know you need to leave us soon, but one of the things that Tom is reminding me of is just how many vehicles we have to get reaction that makes it so hard to blackout. I mean, can you talk about how you feel like that sort of changed things even with this with this election or how we're, how our anxiety is going up with it? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing about Donald Trump is he is sort of in everything. Like he's he's compared to other presidents, he's been very hard to escape, right? He's he's sort of a topic you think about when you think about the fires here, when you think about weather generally, when you think about sports, uh, he's a, he, he's sort of inescapable. And so, and then we all have, um, you know, these devices that kind of ping us all the time. And especially now where our work is uh, on computers and we are communicating with others um, virtually, it's really hard to kind of stay offline. Um, I, I've been having a lot of trouble sort of picturing the future beyond Tuesday. And I have this, I have this uh, kind of dream that everything will go according to how, uh, you know, how I want. And then I will be like your caller and I'll be able to just kind of leave and go uh, hiking or something. But, you know, we really just like the other side of me feels like we have no idea what's going to happen next week. So I don't even know how to plan for next week. So it's this kind of weird um, sense of um, I want kind of liberation from this anxiety, but also there's just like so much uncertainty about it. Yeah. Well, Farhad Manju, thanks so much for joining us. I don't know with all the thinking and writing that you've been doing about this, if you have any final thoughts for us going into next week before I let you go. Um, I just think, uh, you know, good luck to everyone uh, in in um, in braving these times. I think these are difficult times for our country, but um, and uh, it will be tough. And, uh, you know, Good luck. Yeah, well, you know, you're reminding that maybe the fact that we're all in this together, we're experiencing all this together, regardless yeah. of which candidate we support, is kind of a communal thing, <laughs> even no, if it's agree. communal yeah. anxiety. But thanks, Farhad Manju. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks so much. Good to be Far- here. Farhad Manju, op- opinion columnist for The New York Times. Stephen Stosny, he mentions, you know, kind of wanting this to be over. I mean, is do you think there's going to be relief? Because earlier you were just like, well, we probably won't have any, we won't necessarily have a resolution on Tuesday evening. So, I mean, how do we handle that post period when we're likely going to be kind of amped up for a prolonged period of time? Well, after the 2016 election, election stress disorder morphed almost immediately into headline stress disorder. Uh, and that's been pretty continuous, so it's not going to end. Also, this election is more negative. In other words, we're more against one candidate than we're for another. So there's going to be buyer's remorse, almost certainly on election night or when the, the results are finalized. And that brings me to a point that's really important in coping. You have to focus on what you're for, the kind of country you want to see, the kind of values you want to see promoted, rather than what you're against. Now, that might seem like a subtle distinction, but it makes a big psychological difference. When you're for something, you're motivated by passion. It generates energy. Your fantasies are about reform, building, positive change. When you're against something, you're motivated by anger and your fantasies are destructive. You want to tear something down. And that destructiveness is going to bleed into other areas of your life. You're not going to be able to focus as much on your work or get along as well with the people you care about. Well, let me go to caller Kira in San Francisco. Hi, Kira. Hello. Thanks for having and thanks for this wonderful conversation. Um, I actually kind of had a question related to, you know, this morning we've heard a lot about, you know, connecting with others, making sure that we're not isolated. Um, you know, as somebody who, who works very closely with a lot of, you know, political 
folks and you know all of my friends are very politically active and I'm kind of seeing the small talk really come back to you know we're all very stressed and and sometimes it kind of feels like a cycle and I've had some other friends who kind of inject you know the fake positivity like we're gonna get through this you know staying up all the time as kind of you know getting that energy but it really isn't as recharging and I was curious if anybody had any advice on you know how to kind of you know, really engage, acknowledging our emotions um, while also not continuing down a cycle of stress. So when, you know, you are on Zooms with your friends or you are catching up with your family, um, you don't kind of let that stress just bubble up and become a collective thing among a group of people Mm -hmm. and instead trying to break that cycle in a really meaningful way. Uh, that's an interesting question, uh, Dr. Briscoe Smith, just in terms of, you know, when it's healthy, right, the connection with others and when sometimes it can actually be escalating some of the anxiety. Right, right. I think one thing is, as your caller is kind of indicating, let's pay attention to it. So again, am I spending time with a group of folks where I'm actually getting pulled down that kind of rabbit hole of negativity? Or where are the places that I can spend some time that actually lifts me up? There's also this kind of idea around moral elevation. There's the research really indicates that when you spend time paying attention to things that are inspiring, that are about people's acts of um, courageous acts, compassionate acts, um, when you can pay attention to those, that that actually lifts you out of that negative spiral. So the, the invitation is, is there a way that in that conversation or as you're with folks, you can have that moment of like, mm, did you see how those young folks actually organized um, to create this organization that, that provides this wonderful care? Or aren't you so impressed with the ways that um, millennials and Gen Z are, are coming to the votes? Like ways that we can actually connect within this moment of despair, um, the places that, that are moral elevation of purpose, mm-hmm. that there are, there are those, and I think that's the idea of kind of breadcrumbs. Like if you only get, follow some breadcrumbs, they lead you to some places, but there are also opportunities that we can divert our attention to and divide our conversation to that might actually pull us up and actually refuel our purpose as well. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about good news stories in a Mm -hmm. way and letting those filter in as well. Well, this listener tweets, 2020, loss of my job, home, and hope. Now with so much unrest, I keep having panic attacks. I'm struggling with the fact that I will be alone Tuesday night and in the days after. I mean, Dr. Briscoe-Smith's thoughts about this, because I also know that, you know, you work with a population that like uh, DACA recipients, for example, Mm -hmm. are among your clientele or people, you know, who have experienced really significant pain in 2020. Right. I mean, I think the piece too is to, you know, um, to really pay attention to and understand the suffering, you know, compassion and paying attention to good news is not, um, you know, bereft of the the suffering that's underneath it. So we can actually pay attention to like what that caller just described is so much loss of home, you know, isolation. And in those places are also the opportunities to pay attention to the resilience. You know, one of the things that we're talking about is how do I possibly deal with that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm not going to know what's going to happen. Well, we've got a great example of a community that knows how to deal with uncertainty because we thought that COVID would be over by now. You know, yet we've figured out how to persist. We don't have an end date. So we got to kind of do the connection between how is it that I'm persisting? How is it that I'm understanding? Have I had a moment where I didn't know where the end date was and I'm still living? Yes. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Is there suffering? Absolutely. And I also am capable because I'm doing it. So Mm -hmm. I think also the ways that we can be connected with each other to pay attention, 
not just to the bright side, but that our suffering is also an articulation of our strength. And what we're moving through is so important. That's such an interesting point. So the fact that we've gotten this far shows that we also have great stores of resilience or ability to Uh be resilient, um, given everything that 2020 has thrown at us. We're getting tips on how to manage election-related anxiety, as surveys show. It is spiking going into the final weekend before Election Day. We're talking with Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, a psychologist and assistant professor at the Wright Institute, and Dr. Stephen Stosny, a relationship therapist and founder of Compassion Power. And you, our listeners, are with us. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Barbara writes, rather than being immobilized in the dumps for months, I will try to double down on kindness, truthfulness, community building, and protection of targeted groups and democracy. Let me go to Jan in South San Francisco. Hi, Jan. Join us. Hi, Jan. Are you there? Well, we'll try to reconnect with Jan. I'll go next to Peter in San Francisco. Hi, Peter. Yes, hi. Um, it seems to me that uh, if people are getting stress and uh, possibly anger, it's really important to try and understand what the causes are, what where that comes from, basically what the externalities might be. So, I mean, I find myself upset and all of those things. And I think that uh, working, understanding as well as working on changing the externalities is very important. What's going on? Uh, we're in a situation like the Senate, with its gross overrepresentation of low uh, population states, the Electoral College, which kind of does the same thing, mm. money in politics, uh, crazy uh, information available on the Internet, and where do you get reliable information? Yeah, so you're saying choose the issue or structure you want to change and work towards changing that. Peter, thanks. More after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Election-related stress is spiking, worse than in 2016, and we're talking about what's driving it, how to manage it, and what to do if things don't go our way and keep perspective. We're talking with Dr. Stephen Stosny, a relationship therapist and founder of Compassion Power, and Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, a psychologist and assistant professor at the Wright Institute. You, our listeners, are with us. How are you doing? What are you doing to calm your nerves? What will you do if the election doesn't go your way? How are you preparing? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And let me go to Dave in San Francisco. Hi, Dave. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I think that the media is... uh, has a tendency to go down the rabbit hole with this political thing. Like I was listening to KQED all day yesterday and it was just after a while, the amount of political coverage was stressing me out alone. So I think that they need to KQED normally has a diverse, you know, programming schedule. And it's just like when the election, this whole election thing, it's just, it's just too much. After a while, it's just like, please stop. You know what I mean? Like cover something else for a minute. There's a lot of other good news in the world. It's like, all it's just all speculation, all this polling stuff. It's ridiculous. It's like there's nothing you know, I mean it's like wait till the day of the election. I'm like talk about it then, but it's like nothing we can do until that point. Just let it rest. Well, thanks for the feedback, David. And it's also clear that this listener, uh, Dr. Stosny, knows when he's had enough, and I think that is such an important thing. Can you talk a little bit about how to know when it's too much? What are some of the signs we should be looking for? 
Well, if you find that you're thinking about it when you should be thinking about other things, see, what, whatever you focus on is more important at that moment than what you're not focused on. So you want to be sure that you're focusing on things that are important to your life and that you can have some control over. Your control over the election is extremely limited. So exercise whatever you can but focus on what you can control in important areas of your life. Mm. Dr. Briscoe, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Dr. Stosny. The wild card in anxiety is perceived ability to cope. Uh, Perceived ability to cope is always lower than actual ability to cope. In other words, we always cope better than we think we will. And that's because we're not descended from the early humans who overestimated their ability to cope thought they could jump across the cliff or take on the saber-toothed tiger. So we systematically underestimate it. Uh, So thinking about other times that you have coped and just having confidence that if the worst happens, you will be okay. You'll make the best of it. You'll tap into the resilience of the human spirit. Let me go to Lorna in Richmond, Marina. Hi, Lorna. Hi, how are you? Thank you for this great discussion. (laughs) Thanks for calling in. Um, Yeah, so my situation is that I come from a family where I'm uh, the lone Democrat in my immediate family. My extended family, thankfully, uh, are also Democrats, but somehow my parents and my brother are under Trump's spell. So as, as a way of almost like solving my carbon footprint deficit, I've been spending the last four years doing everything I can to mobilize, uh, you know, gerrymandering, reform, et cetera, et cetera. In this current situation, I um, initially was panicked and figuring out where am I going to go if Trump wins, and then I turned that into rechannel that into making sure that we get a landslide win uh, and win both chambers of, of Congress so that there will be no mistake that the country wants to go in a different direction and Hopefully Trump won't be able to try to deny his loss when he loses. And um, but regardless of who wins um, next Tuesday, my biggest, I think, anxiety is that we've been living as a country under a psychological and, um, you know, like verbal abusive relationship with this with this president for the past four years. And um, there are facets of our country who have also kind of been following him, like under the illusion of a cult leadership. So once we get to the other side, regardless of who wins, we're going to need to solve the PTSD of the majority of the nation and deprogram cult behavior for a portion of the nation. And I don't know how that's going to happen and what we're going to do about it. Lorna, thanks. Dr. Sosti, you referred to this earlier, actually, like regardless of who wins, right, that there isn't going to be relief. And and I have actually heard of post-election stress disorder or post-election stress syndrome, regardless of the outcome. Is that something that Lorna is tapping into here? Yes, I think so. Uh, And again, it's because you're focused on things you can't control. So even if you uh, win the bet, it's going to seem empty after it happens. And the changes in our political system are not going to be that great. They're going to be more incremental. So you're not going to have immediate resolution of all these issues, even if there is a blue wave. Well, let me go to going to the anxiety and coping that has to be done. 
Well, let me go to Josh in Oakland, who I think has something similar along these lines. Josh, join us. Hi. Yeah, my question has to do with um, uh, voting Democrat. And I know that my uncle and cousins are voting Trump. And especially if, you know, I go to doomsday and imagine Trump winning, then I imagine a kind of conversation where I, I feel tempted to break the relationship or call my uncle out. And, and then even if Biden wins, you know, how do I move on and kind of either way, if I decide to end a relationship or somehow find, I don't know if it's forgiveness or a way to continue. Mm. I'm just curious to hear from your experts about that kind of situation. Yes, me too. I mean, hope for our relationships going forward. Um, Dr. Briscoe-Smith, do you want to go first and then Dr. Stelson? Sure. I mean, I think the the piece I would just kind of say to that is a, just a validation for that I'm definitely seeing within, you know, the context of my private practice and the way I work with families is that this type of stress is is heightened in this moment and also to realize it was a moment that has been heightened over time as well, that when we have political um, and moral and values-based shifts within our families, it becomes really difficult. So rather than pointing to a solution that I have around that, I would just kind of say, I want to have folks have an appreciation for this is distressing. This is happening quite a lot. It's one of the factors that's contributing to election stress. I've heard a thousand people say, I think they made that choice back in 2016 and it was a mistake, but if they make that decision again, then we're done. You know, part of that kind of sense about what does this decision really mean? But I also think the smallest thing that we can try to do is to try to be in dialogue where possible and in small places and in small ways about what does this mean? What are our values? How are we connected? But all that, again, to kind of say this is an added stressor, what's happening to our families, that we're, we're struggling in many different places to, to bridge the gap and to have the conversation. Dr. Saucy, what do you think in terms of sort of dealing with our relationships with people with political differences, which I'm sure right now in your practice you've seen them, seen these types of divides as, as really stark and probably next level? Well... What I do personally is I don't talk to people I care about about politics, but if you do get sucked into that kind of conversation, talk about deeper values because there's we generally agree on our deeper values, things like equality, compassion, kindness, uh, where we disagree is on policy. So try to focus on deeper values and you will see a more basic humanity in the in your relatives, even though you don't like their opinions, you can like them as people. What I found so interesting, Dr. Stosny, was that you don't frequently have couples that you see who have different political views, that the tension is actually among couples who have the same views, but it's just that um, other things are heightened when other issues are heightened when there's general anxiety around issues like the election. Well, anxiety always has a reaction. If one partner is more anxious, the other's going to try to mellow out to keep the anxiety from going through the roof. So they're reacting to each other. Uh, and then when the mellowed out partner is trying to calm down the anxious partner, action makes them more anxious. Uh, so it's like the level of anxiety has to be constant. If one of them does less of it, the other's going to do more of it. 
Well, Zach tweets, many of us don't have the privilege to not care about the things that impact us directly. Like Stephen is recommending, I get the point is about the things we can versus the things we can versus can't control. But still, and this underscores the point we were making earlier where people really do see and have felt uh, the real impact in terms of their lives, the quality of their lives and their sense of safety in the last four years. Merrily writes, one method I use is to lean on the Bible. For those without a faith, I try it anyway. It's amazing how moments later I can feel the wash of protection and relaxation. Then when I start to feel anxious again, I repeat the verse and I feel better again. Jan in South San Francisco, I think you're back with us now. Hi, Jan. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I'm dealing uh, with the stress of this uh, election by just, you know, I did all my research and uh, I I think that uh, I'm going to have a reasonable expectation of how things are going to turn out, you know, because I believe the data and uh, of course I'm going to be rooting for uh, Joe Biden. And I see all of the polling data that has them anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 points uh, ahead. And then you see how uh, the Trump campaign is just running things a lot differently than in 2016, when, in my view, is Dean's Trump is doing a horrible campaign. So based on all that, I feel fairly confident that, um, you know, Biden's going to you know, score a win. I'm just basing that on realistic ex- expectations based on all the data mm. uh, that I've seen. And uh, but uh, there's going to be some excitement as as well, uh, maybe more on the state propositions. That's kind of more of a nail biter. Um, a lot of propositions, I mean, like 22 in particular, is the most expensive uh, proposition in state history. Uh, the polling on that uh, really is not as concrete. So that's the only one that's going to be um, a little bit of a nail biter. And then, you know, finally, uh, the, the Senate, I'm realistic that, um, say, somebody like Mitch McConnell, I mean, the polls have him with a comfortable lead. So more than likely he's going to survive. But uh, the other part of that is that uh, it shows that, uh, you know, Democrats have a realistic chance of, you know, taking the Senate again based on a, on the polling. So I just the main takeaway is if you trust the data and if you trust uh, the statisticians that have learned from, you know, what happened in 2016, then, um, then, you know, the likely outcomes have already been pretty much predicted. And you can be fairly confident that uh, on election night, things are going to turn out just as they predict. Well, and I think that's what's going to make you, I would say, rest easy a little well, bit. But, you know, there is that small possibility of a upset. Yeah, but I'm glad to hear, Jan, that the data is helping you. This listener writes, my anxiety is mostly about the time following the election, the potential for violence and unending court filings, and Trump's behavior if he loses is extremely high. I'm 63, and I've never seen this behavior in politics. This listener writes, I'm drinking, drinking and practicing denial, telling my wife it is all right, when it is obviously not. David writes, I've always taught a Tuesday night yoga class, which, of course, has included all elections. I've been encouraging my students to do exactly what you're saying, shut off the media and do things that allow us to thrive. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You can join the conversation, 866-733-6786. Let me go to Linda in Oakland. Hi, Linda. Hi. Um, I want to say I'm going to maintain hope and uh, because there's nothing else I can do. And if we don't get the presidency, maybe we'll get the Senate, and we have the House and the Senate, and we can impeach Trump. So, and if we lose, I'm just going to do everything in my power to try to make things right. Well, Linda, thanks for that that message of hope. Glad to hear that you are choosing hope. (laughs) Let me go to Joyce in San Jose. Hi, Joyce. Hi. 
Um, I just want to echo the uh, sentiments of a man a couple of people ago. Um, I am also having a lot of difficulty. I, you know, my my theory was I won't lose a friend because of Trump. He's not worth it. And yet in the last couple months, I've been really depressed and thinking that I don't know if I want to stay friends with those people that believe in him because I've known him for years and I totally cannot understand my logic in my head doesn't understand how they can believe in him and even think he's a Christian. That's about it. I, I feel bad because it's it's been really hard. So if he wins, um, I don't know, maybe I'll quit listening to any news. I don't know. Well, we hope <laughs> I don't not, know but, what to do. But thank you, Joyce, for sharing that, because you're not the first person to say that. Dr. Briscoe Smith, there is this sense, right, that that people that if that like what Joyce is talking about, that there is actually such a difference of values that there it goes beyond just political difference that it makes you even question whether you truly know the person as a good person. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it calls all of that into question. And I think the the difficulty is that we're, you know, maybe there isn't some middle ground between two people that have very different kind of values. And that's what we're actually kind of figuring out. Or maybe it's because we're not really supported to do the deep listening and to do the to have the time to really listen to each other, have the time to to talk to each other. And I think the thing that's adding to this is is COVID, is pandemic. You know, the ability to have the casual chat and to bump into each other. We have to take into consideration that these things are not isolated; they are cumulative and they're adding up. The sense of depression and isolation is also because of where we are in these times and. To, to hold on to, I think, hope is, is really hard, as the, the, the caller before was talking about. It's also part of, you know, how we think about privilege, right, and how we think about how overwhelming this really is and how impactful. I, I deeply resonate with the idea that, not the idea, the reality that some people are definitely impacted differently on Wednesday morning than others, and that is accounting to our privilege. And we have the ability to listen, we have the ability to organize, we have the ability to hope. And as the other caller said, that you know, our job on Wednesday might also just be clearer in terms of the type of work that we have to do that's aligned with our purpose. That there's a lot of work for us to be doing that we need to be well enough to be able to do that work. Well, Isabella writes, I'm a bedside nurse and I'm so glad I'm working the evening shift this Tuesday. We're glad too, Isabella. Thanks for being a bedside nurse. Well, Dr. Briscoe Smith, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I'm hoping that we are all going to attend to our wellness and our gratitude that we, we can leverage in this moment. Dr. Allison Briscoe Smith, psychologist and assistant professor at the Wright Institute. Dr. Stephen Stosny, thanks as well to you. Oh, it was my pleasure relationship therapist and founder of Compassion Power, Dr. Stephen Snosny. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. We're actually going to head into this weekend before Election Day with an installment from our series, The Music Getting You Through 2020. And this song is No More Trouble by Bob Marley and the Wailers. And it was sent to us by listener LaDonna, who writes simply, the lyrics speak the truth.
No More Trouble by Bob Marley and the Wailers. Thanks to listener LaDonna for sharing it with us. And if you want to hear all the songs listeners are recommending, check out and follow KQED's The Music Getting You Through 2020 playlist on Spotify. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, and Susan Britton. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineer is Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. Intern is Jameson Weiss. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Forum is with you. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.